Welcome to Critical Transit, episode 33. I should say welcome back. It's been a little bit of a while, uh, about three weeks since I last recorded an episode, and I uh, apologize for that. I've been busy traveling, and then I had some computer issues, and uh, my computer is on the brink, uh, but I am, uh, I'm pushing it into uh, year six of its uh, what it's going to be a useful life. So uh, I'm still going. So anyway, thank you for staying with me. And I have finished touring through Michigan, and I spent a little bit of time in New York, mostly seeing family and some friends. Uh, don't have a lot to report on from here, but I but I will soon. And I've decided to pick up and go back to the Midwest and spend some time in Minneapolis, and um, which I, I find to be a wonderful biking city and um, just a great place with a lot of great people. And uh, if I can find some work and... Uh, you know, just keep doing the show and keep learning about transit and, and biking and, and just meeting good people, uh, all will be well. So, uh, but in the meantime, I wanted to give you that update and uh, I will keep going. And the good thing about me settling in a place for a little while, a few months maybe, is that uh, I will have a place and a setup that will make it easier to do interviews uh, from home. So, I'll be able to do interviews with people in other cities, and uh, and it'll be a little easier to arrange in-person interviews as well. So uh, you can expect better quality stuff and uh, and more interesting content. You can interview people from New York and Toronto and and elsewhere. Uh, all the great things that are that are going on. On today's show, I have a very exciting interview with a member of the Grease Rag Bike Collective in Minneapolis. This is a women trans femme bike collective focusing on helping people get into biking and being comfortable with their bikes, building community, uh, and all that great stuff. Uh, very inspiring and, and really interesting. And when you hear Lo talk about how she got into biking and she learned to bike as an adult and, uh, you know, was scared of traffic and snow and everything and uh, how she learned to bike around Minneapolis and getting involved. And now she's, she's teaching a lot of other people how to take care of their bikes and, uh, and just building a great community. They do a lot of wonderful events. They do uh, bike camping. They have seven open shop nights per month. So um, in addition to that, they also do day trips. And like I said, they go you know overnight camping trips sometimes. And, um, and they do a lot of events together, just uh, trying to help each other out. All their events are totally free and uh, open to the community. And they, they move around the city uh, to different places. And so um, you can find out about them at greaserag.org and uh, on their Facebook group, Grease Rag Ride and Wrench. And I will uh, post links to that as, as well. And um, yeah, you can, you'll learn a lot from this interview. I think you'll, you'll really enjoy it. Um, but before I get into that interview, I uh, did want to talk about biking a little bit. I did a couple of, uh, of uh, rants that I, that I wanted to <laughs> basically share with you guys uh, about, about biking. And uh, I've I've been spending about a week in uh, Staten Island, which is part of the city of New York. It's one of the five boroughs, um, the least populated and most suburban of of the boroughs. And uh, it's not a terrible place to bike, as I as I kind of expected. Um, but it involves a lot of uh, avoiding these main streets. Either you know you get your choice, kind of either between these two lane winding rural like roads with uh, you know just a lot of traffic on them, uh, or uh, these like three, four lane each direction uh, boulevards. Um, that's why I always, I always try to be careful when I, I hear 
people talking about, you know, tearing down highways and replacing them with boulevards because, uh, you know, when you mention boulevard, this is what a traffic engineer thinks of when you think of boulevard. You think of, you know, six to eight lane streets with just fast moving traffic and um, widely spaced signals and, you know, very difficult to walk on or across um, and, and unsafe. So, uh, yeah, so that's, so when you avoid those two, those two things, it involves a lot of dealing with biking on, on, uh, side streets and just sort of knowing the general direction you want to go and just kind of making your way through the side streets. Um, they have only a couple bike lanes, but nothing really, uh, that useful. So, uh, um, but you know, I'm biking around and, and it's just, you know, these, these drivers, you know, my, my, my personal favorite is when you're one of my favorites, I guess, I don't know. I have a lot of them. Um, yesterday I'm, um, I'm going up and, and just, you know, going to do, do some food shopping, you know, one of the most mundane tasks you might, you might do. And, uh, so, you know, I'm driving my bicycle and I, uh, I can come to a, a stop sign to make my right turn onto the main street. And then, uh, you know, I'm going to take a left turn and, uh, I have to sit there and wait. So instead of stopping completely and putting my foot down, I, uh, you know, want to take a, I try to, you know, kind of keep the bike moving sort of slowly and just try to kind of stand, stay there. And how long can I, can I stay up on the bike? Uh, but you're still moving forward because, uh, I don't have a fixed gear and I can't do a track stand. Um, but instead of, instead of any of these assholes stopping and letting me go, they all have to, you know, open their windows and yell stupid shit like, Oh, that's smart. Look at you in the middle of the road. Good place to sit. That's a nice place to wait. And all this other stupid crap. And it's like, you know, I'm in the left turn lane trying to take a left turn it's like, if you jackass want to let me go, then, uh, you know, then I can go, but otherwise I'm going to sit here and you're just helping, you know, yelling stupid stuff. Like that doesn't, what is that supposed to do? How is that going to help anything? Um, it's just like the, these drivers that, you know, yell at you like, what are you in the middle of the road? You know, I'm going to hit you when you're like trying to avoid a pothole or something. Don't you love when drivers honk at you? It's like, yeah, dipshit, I see you. I know you're there. It's like, you think I can't hear your giant steel box rumbling along behind me? Um, you know, especially when, uh, when like bus and truck drivers do it. It's like, oh yeah, I can't, I can't hear you there. Thanks. Um, but why do they, what do they do that for? Do they like, they think I have no idea that they're there and then I'm suddenly going to just disappear. It's like, you can, uh, you know, you can just drive your, your car anywhere and like somebody's going to just disappear. Um, you know, I feel like saying to some of these people, it's like, well, if you had a smaller vehicle, you know, maybe you could, uh, you know, you had maybe a bicycle, for example, you could, uh, you could actually, you know, pass me if you wanted to. Um, but no, it's, uh, they, they probably think that I'm just there to annoy them. It's like, I'm on a joy ride. It's like, I'm not trying to get from, from A to B or something. I'm just, I'm just out there, you know, screwing around and I, uh, you know, I can, I can just, just go there just to piss them off. Um, and that's why, you know, the more, the more I deal with this kind of crap, uh, you know, the more and more angry I get at the state of the build environment and, um, you know, the more, you know, we waste all this space on car travel and, and the drivers can't even follow the laws. Uh, you know, never mind, just act like decent human beings or around other people. Um, and this is why we need to just get rid of cars, you know, just cars are just, they just need to go. We're just, it's enough, you know, um, all these people always like to say, oh yeah, you know, we need cars, uh, you know, they're good for moving and whatever. Um, but it's, I feel like that's, that's nonsense. That's BS. I mean, we have, we have car sharing, you know, we don't need private cars. Um, and it's, you know, it's the livable streets people who always, they always feel like they have to add this disclaimer for political reasons, you know, oh, we have no problem with cars, you know, cars are okay, we like cars. Um, and that's why, you know, complete streets became a thing, right? Um, and these bike advocates, um, especially these nonprofit groups who, you know, want to raise money and everything, they, they feel like they need to fit into this accepted political, political discourse where, you know, you can't really question the car oriented society. 
Um, and you can't even question orienting our cities around cars. The cities are supposed to be for people, right? Um, but they're built for these high-speed thoroughfares, you know, the one-way streets and everything that just, you know, make it more difficult to walk, more difficult to use transit, and less safe in general. And, uh, you know, we can't, you're not allowed to, to question that. And it's, it's sort of like, sort of like, you know, being a, like a Democrat, you know, in the Congress, it's like, you don't want to be labeled un-American, right? So you always go to these great pains, be, oh yeah, we are patriotic too. You know, we love the second amendment, you know, we love, you know, whatever. And it's just, uh, it, it's, it's all just, just nonsense. Um, because you, you know, and you say this stuff because you, you don't want, you want to be taken seriously by the people who have the power. So, um, but what you wind up getting is, you know, if you're going to make any gains, you're going to make little gains. You know, you're going to get a bike lane here and there, but you're not really going to get a, a big change in the system of, you know, seriously regulating, controlling cars. Um, it's not going to, it's not going to happen if you keep saying, oh, cars are okay. We have no problem with cars. And, um, you know, it's the same groups that, that spend so much effort trying to convince people that uh, bicyclists need to follow traffic laws um, and trying to convince bicyclists to follow traffic laws. It's like, why why should a bike advocacy group be telling bicyclists to follow red lights? Um, you're supposed to be advocating for bike safety and for, for bicyclists. Um, you know, you're not supposed to be trying to enforce these these arbitrary rules that so that drivers think that the system is fair and they say, okay, well, okay, well if bicyclists follow laws, then they can earn respect. It's like, well... The drivers don't have to earn respect. Uh, you know, they do all kinds of horrible things, and we just build more and more for them. And, uh, you know, this is why. these You know, they don't appreciate anything. We give them all this space and all this, you know, these roads, all these tax dollars, everything we, we spend on on, uh, on on all the infrastructure and, and responding to emergencies and, you know, traffic, uh, traffic police and, and um, you know, fire, EMS, all these things that we spend and... Uh, and the resources that go to, you know, educating kids, uh, you know, to telling kids, oh, you know, you got to look, be careful, don't cross the street, don't don't uh, text and walk. There's cities now that are trying to make it illegal to walk and text at the same time, which is like, it's, hello, that's not solving an actual problem. That's just victim blaming there. And so, you know, I mean, I probably get a lot of hate mail for this, but I mean, we have to share the road with these dangerous steel boxes. And I think the, everybody... Everybody who insists that bikes have to follow traffic laws, you know, these bike advocacy groups, they all will admit privately that uh, it's stupid. It's ridiculous. There's no there's no reason for bikes to diligently follow traffic laws. Now, obviously, you know, we have to share the streets with these uh, with these dangerous steel boxes. So obviously, you know, when we get to we should, you know, take heed of the traffic laws and just, you know, if you get to a red light, obviously you should. You know, slow down real slow and be prepared to stop and yield the right of way. And uh, but there's no point sitting there if uh, you know if the light is is uh, you know if there's no no nobody to yield to. Uh, there's no reason to uh, to just sit there. Um, it's not a bike. It's not a car. It doesn't doesn't kill people. It's very different. Um, you know, and and uh, anybody who says oh it's not fair it just doesn't understand that the whole the whole system is unfair to, to people on bikes. So the car drivers. You know, they disregard whatever laws they want to disregard. You know, the uh, speed limits. How, how many people, uh, you know, use a turn signal before the car turns right? Um, you know, the cars, they turn right on red. They have to block the crosswalk. And how many cars yield to pedestrians in the crosswalk? I mean, I can go on and on about all this, right? But you don't hear anybody in, in the media complaining about this stuff. It's just they complain when bikes disobey the one law that most drivers find it reasonably convenient to obey. It, it doesn't, it's just arbitrary and it doesn't make any sense. Um, so obviously, you know, look and, and everything, but, um, there is a, I saw a recent study, uh, the other day that, 
Um, said that less than 10% of bike crashes have anything to do with the bicyclist disobeying traffic laws. And yeah, that's true because, uh, you know, it's the vast majority of bike crashes are not the bicyclist's fault. Um, it's either, you know, dangerous driving or it's, uh, something wrong with the street, you know, potholes or, um, you know, some problem, they crash into a, into a uh, recessed pavement or something like that. So I don't know. You can send me all your hate mail if you want, but, um, there is, uh, there's no reason for bikes to diligently obey traffic laws. And, uh, I don't know how I get into talking about this. Um, I think I was just, oh yeah, I was talking about how people were, how people feel like they need to, they need to say that they support cars because, uh, they don't want to be dismissed. Um, but I hate cars. Uh, fuck them. They need to go. They're, they're awful. Um, you know, you hear, you hear people say, oh, you know, cars are useful for moving and stuff. Uh, bullshit. Because I don't hear anybody proposing to get rid of private cars and just establish a fleet of, uh, oh wait, Ah, yeah, zip car. Yeah, car share. Oh, yeah, 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 we have that. It's called car sharing. So why do we need private cars then? You know, people just come up with excuses. And um, anybody who tells you that the cars are not the problem is just being dishonest. Either because they haven't put much thought into it and then therefore they don't recognize the, the scope of the problem and that, that cars are the problem. Or because they um, just don't want to alienate powerful people. Or in, in many cases, uh, pe- certain people just like to drive. Um, you know, they have their car. Maybe they don't use it all the time. Maybe they, they bike also. Uh, so they want safe streets for biking. But but they also want to be able to drive. And, uh, you know, we can't have the society with this mass ownership and of, of private cars where you can, you know, use it anytime you want, park it wherever you want. All this space is devoted to cars. And, you know, it just, it just doesn't work. Um, we have to come up with some way either to just get rid of them completely or to just, you know, to regulate them and tax them and charge them to the point where it's very expensive to go out and drive and you really only will use it when you absolutely need to. Um, and obviously there are equity implications with that. You know, people tell me, oh, well, then only rich people will drive and poor people won't drive. And, um, you know, I, I guess I have two things to that. One is that um, nobody needs to drive. So, uh, you know, if you have, you know, it's hard to make the argument that that you're just taxing poor people because it's like, well, nobody needs cars. Uh, but being sensitive to that argument, then um, you know, maybe we just need to just get rid of them completely. Uh, that's you know, I have no problem at all with that. And uh, you know, and, and cars just cars just makes situations difficult. And the there's so many people that do just fine without cars. You know, most people can't imagine that. Uh, I just spent a couple of days on uh, on um, in northern Michigan, and uh, one day I went out to Mackinac Island, which is a car-free island. Uh, there's only about 500 people that live there, and it's a little bit weird because they. Um, they're generally very self-sufficient and their, their ferries don't run in the winter. So they, uh, you know, some, a lot of people don't leave in the winter, which is, <laughs> so it's different than your typical, your typical setup. But, um, but I mean, a place like, like, uh, Toronto Island, which is right off the, off the Harbor from, from, uh, downtown Toronto and, uh, like a 10 minute ferry ride. Uh, the ferry runs year round. People live there. They work in the city. They come and go. Nobody has a car. Uh, and there, and many of us, you know, get around just fine without cars. Uh, I, and, and probably you, uh, don't have a car or, or hardly ever use a car. And so, uh, I've, I lived even, uh, 20 years without a bike before I even learned how to ride a bike. And, uh, and I got around just fine taking, taking buses and walking. And, uh, now a bike makes my life so much easier. Yes. But, uh, but you don't even need that. You, uh, you know, you just need your own two feet and, and that's it. Um, the only situations where it's ever difficult to be without a car are situations that we as a society built ourselves into. So either, you know, we have situations where 
you you find you have trouble getting to a, a particular place that is designed to you know to make other modes impractical. So if you're trying to go say to, to somebody's house in the in suburban location that's you know difficult to reach by transit, well, this place was designed in a manner that that makes transit impractical. Um, we did that as a society. You know, this is not just some some accident. Oh, we need cars to do this. No, we need to stop building stuff like that. And uh, you know, just maybe. Yeah, and so that's um, it's either that or it's just because uh, cars have have dominated society so much that you know people have become obsessed with them and used to them and used to driving them, and so people who drive cars sort of have this uh, you know difficulty of imagining any other way, and they get very insistent that that you know you you know they they drive and they don't ever want to take a bus or bike or you know it's never never anything different it always has to be this way and you're just you're just crazy and being stubborn if you if you don't want to drive there um or you know ride in my car um and that's that's something we need to really move away from because we need if we want to have vibrant cities and interesting places um you know we need to make places that are walkable and transit and bike friendly and we know that more and more people are moving to cities. People want that, you know. We we uh, I was just talking to somebody the other day who had a had a job offer in a in a little town in New Jersey that was kind of um, it was like twenty miles from the nearest cities, and, and you know there were no buses there. And uh, and he was just talking about how the the company that was trying to to hire him said that they're having you know they have a hard time getting people to to come in and it's like well you know nobody wants to move to a place like that because everybody's young professionals that are graduating from from college and or high school or whatever um you know people want to live in places with other people they don't want to they don't want that that suburban life you know with the white picket fence and the and the car and the you know two kids and a few people having kids as well it's another thing so um and people getting married later so this is not like a lifestyle that really appeals to anyone and i think we're we're moving we're moving back and we're starting to see um you know suburbs that are are having a lot of trouble um and we've been seeing that in suburbs you know now there's a lot of poverty in suburbs and uh, people are having a lot of trouble getting services because uh, in many cases they're far away from them they have transportation issues and uh you know nobody wants to live there so their tax base is dwindling so it's uh, not a good situation there so um cars are the problem and uh like i said the next person who tells you they're not the problem is uh being dishonest because um cars you know kill and terrorize people they they add all kinds of elements of fear um, you know, the next time you're trying to get across the street and you have trouble getting across the street, well, that's a problem of, of cars and car-friendly design. Um, and you can't have, you wouldn't have that kind of situation if you didn't have cars. Um, that's the bottom line there. Um, do you disagree with me? You think that um, cars are okay? Uh, feel free to write in at feedback at criticaltransit.com and I will uh, I will talk about, well, share your thoughts on the air and uh, possibly uh um, lambast you for it, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, wanted to, maybe we should take a quick little musical break here. I always have a little bit of a hard time finding uh, bicycle related music. Um, but I, I went online, I was looking around a little bit and I found this excellent video. This is a piece of a, of a video of the rock the bike performance from the Sunday streets in San Francisco. It's uh, if you heard of um, they call it Sunday Parkways, Open Streets, uh, Ciclavia, you know the places where uh, the street is actually open to people for a change. Um, and this was in 2011. This is a bunch of um, bunch of musicians performing with a uh, 
well, they called it they called it Rock the Bike, and it's a it's a pedal powered event. So right at the beginning, you'll hear them uh, starting up the uh, the generator, and there's it's a bunch of people. If you watch the video online, I'll put a link to it, and you can see people actually uh, you know pedaling along to power the the speakers and the amps and stuff. Um, really, really cool stuff. Um, and I think you're going to enjoy this. I know I did. <laughs> following the livable streets movement and uh, bike news and such will we'll know that Minneapolis has been uh, much talked about as a great biking city it's sort of um, been up there with Portland Oregon as, as uh, one of those uh, you know great places for biking um, it doesn't mean it's it's perfect obviously it's got got a long way to go and and of course the the city should be doing a lot more actually to improve cycling conditions on the street uh, many of the streets there are, you know, because it's a Midwestern city, you know, they have um, these multi-lane streets, you know, like kind of like freeways or things that uh, streets.mn blogger Bill Lindeke likes to call uh, strodes, which is, uh, I think that term was coined by uh, Chuck Marone of the Strong Towns blog. Um, he was a, uh, a recovering traffic engineer, as he as he calls it. And, uh, you know, he explains how they try to the engineers who try to like sort of satisfy everybody they they try to you know accommodate this uh this well cars always come first right so they they accommodate this this desire to you know just move cars as fast through as much as possible and um and then you know but they also want to make then you know it's not they're trying not to make a freeway here you know to make something that you can walk across and that it can you know fit into the city and it um but it doesn't it doesn't do anything well uh it doesn't move cars well and it doesn't uh, handle people well it's very dangerous just wide it's un- unsafe unfriendly um and so you know it, it just just doesn't work well so anyway um there are a lot of these strodes in a place like minneapolis and uh you know and so it's sort of it's interesting because in a number of cases like like an um hiawatha avenue would be the perfect example right there's this, this giant that's actually more like a like a highway um, but there are traffic lights and you can cross it, but it's, it's about like 10 lanes wide or something, something ridiculous like that. 
and um, and it's it's pretty scary. And they, but the city instead of actually you know downsizing that street and making it like a you know like a four lane street with pedestrian medians or you know something like that, they just um, built a bike path alongside it and they built a light rail line alongside it. And so you, okay, so you, it's sort of like you don't it's there, but you don't really have to deal with it except you sometimes obviously you have to cross it and it degrades the quality of the neighborhoods and all these other things. So uh, you know they have a lot of streets like that, but on the other side. There are a lot of great bike paths, right? like they tend to call them trails in, in that area, and um, so a number of off-street trails. And there have always been recreational trails around around some of the lakes. And uh, but in the past decade or two, as um, as um, Bill Dossett from the uh, Nice Ride Minnesota bike sharing program said um, when I interviewed him on episode thirty-one uh, that. You know, in the past decade or two, there has really been an investment in in other trails. So you have the the Midtown Greenway, the Kenilworth Trail, Cedar Lake Trail, and a number of others that are actually useful for for travel for commuting. Um, of course, the, tra- the trails along the river, and there are now uh, three bridges with bike and pedestrian paths. Uh, two of them bike and pedestrians only, and and the third has a, its own level for bikes and pedestrians. And there's no interaction with cars whatsoever, and so. Um, you know the city has really improved it in that way, and and if you ask any bicyclist, you know they want they want, they want paths. <laughs> They'd much rather have a bike trail that's off street than uh, a little bike lane on on the street. So uh, you know that's that's really great. And and what what I think the trails really do is that they give people not only um, you know regular bicyclists a safe place to ride, but but new bicyclists um, a good safe place to start out. Uh, you know, and, and people go out and ride the trails for recreation. I went out with with a friend of mine who took me a, on a little tour of uh, some of the trails, and and we rode about twenty or thirty miles uh, just on trails, and you know, and it's, you can't really do that in most cities. Um, in Boston, if you rode thirty miles, that would probably be the the entire length of all the bike trails in the city. Um, you know, in Minneapolis, that was just a fraction. So, you know, just to get an idea, and and that. When when people have safe places to ride, that gives them a starting point, right? And they can they walk their bike over there, and they can or you know bring it on the bus, which which you can do in Minneapolis or on the train, and then you bring it, you ride it on the trail, and then you know slowly you start building up your confidence, and you ride on on smaller streets, you ride to the trail eventually, and all of a sudden you know now you're biking to, uh, you know you're biking to work, you're biking to the grocery store, you're biking across town, all of a sudden you're, you're now you're biking everywhere. And uh, and hopefully in, in that process you can learn a lot about uh, how to bike safely. That's one of the things that's often missing. And of course, you know, on the trail there's there's not as much you know that you need to know about biking safely. There's th- certainly annoying stuff that goes on on the trail, but uh, and the trail can be dangerous when you get a lot of people who don't know a lot about biking and you know just sort of uh, not paying attention to the the ways that they're moving laterally and, and passing each other and things like that. But uh, but you know much safer than on the street. And, uh, and much more comfortable than on the street. And when I was there in the winter, I always said that, um, you know, I'm happy to, to, I'm fine biking in the winter and it's much nicer to have these trails here because, you know, I'd rather take my chance, uh, you know, slipping and sliding on a little bit of ice that, um, you know, might not, you know, because there's no car tire tracks, then, you know, take my chances out on the streets with a bunch of drivers who are busy on their cell phones and, you know, not paying attention. So um, it's just, you know, much more, much more comfortable place to ride. And, that's where you know, where a group like Grease Ride comes in is is helping people get more comfortable with uh, their bikes, not only uh, maintaining them but also how to ride them safely, and uh, you know and and 
you know, to ride them in, in a way that, uh, that is, it works for them. You know, a lot of people, you see a lot of people riding around cities with just, uh, as biking is growing, you know, more people are taking to biking, but they're often riding around cities with just, you know, a backpack or, um, just not really well prepared. Uh, you know, there's no, no rain jackets and no, no fenders and just a lot of the basics. Um, so Lo and I talked about that quite a, quite a bit. And, uh, and I want to share with you this interview cause I know you've been, you've been waiting the whole show for it. Um, this is, I, I had a chance to sit down with Lo, who is a member of the collective and, uh, they have seven open shop nights per month and they in different places around Minneapolis, different community partner bike shops, as, as you'll explain. Um, and they also put together day trips and overnight trips and, uh, various other opportunities for building community and supporting each other and growing, uh, that community. So, um, she came to Minneapolis a few years ago and she didn't even know how to ride a bike. And so, uh, she talks about now about being sensitive to new users, welcoming and not intimidating and, uh, and, and all that great stuff. So um, find them online at greaserag.org and uh, their Facebook group, uh, Greaserag Ride and Wrench. Uh, and I'll put links to both of those on the website. And I will talk to you for some closing thoughts and some feedback on the other side of the interview. Hi, my name's Lo. I'm 28 and I live and bike and play in Minneapolis and I am one of the members of a collective called Grease Rag, Ride and Wrench. It's, our mission is to provide a space and create events to promote community for women, transgender, femme, um, and genderqueer identifying cyclists. The best place for me to start talking about Grease Rag is for me to talk about my own personal bike history. Um, When I first came to Minnesota around 2004, I used buses and walked everywhere, which was fine. Um, But I came from Southern California and Oregon, so I had not experienced the cold, um, and more than the cold, the snowy and windy conditions here. So I started relying on the bus more and more, but buses are um, subject to traffic. I mean, they are traffic, so... <laughs> yeah, they're slow, pretty much everywhere Yeah, so if I would get on the <laughs> express bus, it would still take me longer on the bus because there was traffic, and waiting for transfers was very cold. I didn't really like it, so I thought there must be a better way. So I started learning about biking. By learning, I mean when I first started, I was a terrible cyclist. Like, you know, I didn't know the rules of the road. I would ride on the sidewalk or not have lights or, you know, like I just, I didn't do all the things that I know now or for my own good. I mean, you, you were saying before that you just learned how to ride a bike yes. um, as an adult, as, exactly. as did I, which is very exciting to hear that. So. Exactly. So I just didn't know what was best, like what was best for my safety. So I luckily live in a place where there are a lot of cyclists. So I just started looking around and noticing that like, people have things that look like it makes their lives a little bit easier like helmets and lights and panniers and racks I don't think that you need gear to bike but for what I was doing specifically which was commuting from point A to point B carrying a lot of things I could make my life easier by not like carrying it all on my back in the middle of summer or whatever so I kind of started 
cycling in obscurity. I was just doing it on my own, going to the places I needed to go. But I never rode with anyone else. And because it never occurred to me, honestly. Right. You were just doing it just to get around, just the easiest way to go to A to B. And, I know. never thought of yeah. it as a social fun thing. It was like, I can't afford a bus pass, so I need to, I need to start riding my bike. Mm-hmm. But you um, enjoyed riding bikes. So. And I liked it. Right. And I liked it. Um, it was much more enjoyable than the bus. Yeah. You get to be outside, <laughs> experience your environment. You know, you're much more connected to the street and pedestrians. And I heard about this event called Grease Rag. It was the first one. Um, a woman named Erin Durkee was working at a local bike shop, Sunrise Cyclery. And she said to the owner, Jamie McDonald, I would really like to have some of my friends over to the shop and we'll do like a little teaching session or an open shop because I'm finding that a lot of my friends are asking me a lot of bike questions, like bike mechanics questions, and I either don't have the energy and resources to like help them all out I don't know the answer. So if we could all get into one space and collaborate and share our knowledge, maybe we can help each other out because it was apparent to us all that there was kind of this male sphere where, you know, knowledge is assumed and that expertise is like kind of almost lorded over you a little bit. So like if you don't know anything, it's kind of an intimidating entry point. So, did you have a question? Oh, I was gonna say, it's, it's kind of like uh, just generally in, in society, you know. I, I noticed the more I, the more I've heard about these issues, and the more I notice that you know classes and, and lectures and you know pretty much anything is just dominated by men. It's just the way that that things kind of go, and, and uh, you know. As as a white male myself, I tend not to notice that you know it's always these white males that are dominating. You know, um, as maybe I'm doing at the moment. But <laughs> no, I would say that. You know, most times it's not explicit sexism or explicit, um, it's not explicit in how women are not included, but if you look around at the rates of women cycling or women participating in cycling events, that right there is the indicator that there's some kind of disparity there, there's some kind of inequality. So it might not be explicit, but there are symptoms of the problem. Small break here due to equipment issues, uh, but we're back, and Lo talks about how she got involved in Grease Rag. So Aaron Durkee talked to Jamie McDonald at Sunrise Cyclery and wanted to have this night, and she advertised it on the internet. And I just happened to come across it, and I was like, this is what I'm looking for, like... I know how to change a flat tire, but that's it. And there had been a couple times where I had gotten stuck because, like, my chain fell off. And I did not know how to put my chain back on my bicycle, you know? Like, someone had to help me. Right. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I can, learn, I can learn about my bike, and I can, like, maybe meet some people, that bike, so maybe I can ride in a pack like these other people that I see roaming around, you know, that I'm, like, I feel excluded from. <laughs> Uh, that was kind of the beginning. That was the first grease rag. It went great. I think we had six people show up. We did a little ride around the lakes, um, and then we 
came back to the shop and we assessed our machines and I remember that Shane, another mechanic that was working at Sunrise, helped me adjust the limit screws on my rear derailleur and once I figured that out I felt like I could do anything <clears throat> and I think that the other people that were there felt the same way because it just has been gaining momentum since then. And one of the people at the first grease rag, um, her name's Kat. She is just as involved with grease rag as I am at this point. And we actually live together now. Like, we became friends through grease rag. And then my third roommate, we met her through grease rag and we became friends. So now we live together. Excellent. So, so you get you learn about bikes and you meet people and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, just it, it's more, than, more than a common interest. It's such a supportive environment where, you know, I still don't, re I'm still really not that great of a mechanic. Like, I can do some things, I know some stuff, but mostly I like to ask who's there, like, Kat, am I doing this right? Or, Stephanie, is this, am I remembering how to do this correctly? Is this what you know? So in that way, we're able to, like, really collaborate and help each other. And that kind of support is really nice. And then we don't just do the open shops. At this point, we have seven open shop nights a month, which is pretty spectacular. <clears throat> but we also do, like, group rides, and we'll do, like, potlucks at our house, or sometimes we'll take a little day trip out to Stillwater. And I do um, a couple of camping, bike camping events um, in the summer. So there's plenty of opportunities for us to find space and time to like support each other and get to know each other and that is just as empowering as learning how to put your chain back on your bike or learning how to maintain your bike cool i mean would you say that's something that's missing that, that kind of that support and the building community but you say that's missing in traditional bike circles it's one of those things that's tricky because you don't know it's missing until you discover it. Because I find that, with this is true with myself, but also the other people that come to Grease Rag, when they really enjoy it and really get into it, I think it's because they realize, like, this is what I've been missing. Like, I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't define it. But having a supportive place where I feel like these people are all my friends. I can either just like go and hang out or I can get work done without people like talking down to me or like assuming that I have some knowledge or assuming that I don't have some knowledge. It's like, it's a fun place to be. You can just be yourself. Which is, which is how uh, the world should be. So uh, I like that. So, I mean, in, in, in a more traditional, um, whether they be bike circles or, or other environment, and what I mean, what are things that I guess you would identify? You could identify that the broader community can sort of recognize the issues where people feel that they're that they're not uh, being supported, or that they're being improperly judged. Or, I mean, a, a lot of times people, you know, good, well-meaning people just mm -hmm. don't see these things. And um, I like how you ask that question because it allows me to answer it in a positive way. Like, the ways that I feel supported personally and with Grease Rag is when allies, so in other words, people not in the women trans femme group, 
um, give me space. They don't say, well, why are you having grease rag? Like, you just have to practice and have your girl time before you can, like, you know, feel confident enough to be in the real world. Like, that's very condescending, and it's very, um, it simplifies what we're doing. We're not, we're not scared of interacting with other people. It's that... Sometimes it's nice to have a space where you can just be yourself and you don't have to feel like the other because you are the minority. And so the positive way for me to answer that question is that allies have been so awesome. Like, I think most people find their way to Grease Rag through allies saying, hey, I could do this for you, but why don't you check out this group and you can do it for yourself? Or, hey, you asked me, you know, if I knew any, like, women that you could ride with, like, I think you should check out this group. So, recommending us to their friends is a really a great way of amplifying our, our reach. And also just, like, giving us our space. Letting us have our time and not judging that and, like, seeing it as a positive thing that's going to enrich the entire community very positive um are you asking me for like specific things that people can do during like a race or something or i mean whatever i mean whatever you know you're interested in talking about really i'm just just trying to get a sense of you know how how uh, people could be supportive and how allies can be supportive and you know and not um you know i'm not talking about uh, like misogynists because i mean they're that we know we're not going to affect them in any way, really. I mean, and hopefully, I don't know. Hopefully, they're not listening to the show. If you are, go away. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but um, just you know, people who who mean well, you know, how can they sort of um, how can they be supportive and recognize some of the challenges and some of the things that they may not be recognizing? Maybe I can present an example of something that I like to do because when I'm in the space, when I'm at Grease Rag. I'm trying to create an inviting environment for people that sometimes they have never touched their bicycle or they don't really know what to expect and they just heard about us on Facebook and they're kind of nervous about being in the space with a bunch of people that they don't know. And if our goal is to have an inclusive space, we don't want to have a group of close-knit friends and then outsiders that come in and use the space, you know, like everyone should be a friend there. So to give you an example of how I try to be supportive is when someone comes into the shop, I like to say, hi, how are you doing? What's your name? And I will say something nice about their bike because a lot of people feel like the bike that they're riding is not expensive enough or it's not you know the right kind of bike or it's not the bike that everyone else rides so maybe they're feeling judged so I try to say something like that's a great bike or I used to have a bike like that or you know looks like you ride it a lot and then the next question I like to ask is like how long have you had that bike and where did you get it because if you say what kind of bike is that that puts a lot of pressure on the person to answer well, if I just say it's, you know, it's my bike, is that what the, the answer that they're asking for? Are they asking me if it's a 
a road frame? Are they asking me if it's a, you know, carbon fiber tri-bike? Are they asking me, is it a, you know, Trek 7100 touring bike? Like, what are they asking me? And I feel like it creates power differential. So I try to ask it in a neutral way. And um, the next thing I like to ask is I say, is there something you'd like to work on today? Or is there something that's been bothering you? And if someone doesn't know um, the technical names for things on their bicycle or doesn't have an idea of what's wrong, but they know what's bothering them. The brakes are squeaky. Or I can't do this. Or this bothers me. Or this hurts. But it also leaves it open for people that do have a lot of knowledge to say, I need to, you know, re-tap the threads in my bottom bracket. Like, I know that I need to overhaul my headset. So it's just a way of talking that doesn't assume prior knowledge. I think that's, like, a really big part of welcoming people into a space where you're doing kind of technical, mechanical things that they might not have any familiarity with. Yeah, it can definitely be intimidating. I mean, you know, even... If, I guess for anyone, you know. Yeah. It's, so, and, and with anything, I mean, biking is just is just one example of, of things where you, know, you can um, anybody with a there there is a bit of a knowledge issue, and that's, that's one thing I never really thought about about how um, you think about issues in in terms of um, you know like hierarchy, but uh, knowledge is not really something I've ever thought about, and that's that's interesting. Is that um, I guess that's a common thing. So, I mean, I like how you try to um, be, relate to people at their level. And to give them an opportunity where if they know the technical language, feel free to tell me as much as you can so that we can work on your problem. But if you don't have that technical vocabulary, that's cool. We'll still figure it out. So typically at, a, at say, an open shop night, you'll teach people how to fix things or... Well, the way that Grease Rank has an interesting model that I'd really like to tell Ooh, you about. Sounds exciting, and you have a <laughs> smile on your face, so um, <laughs> let's hear it. I, I think it's a really cool model. So each location has a community partner, and the community partner is the bike shop. And the bike shop gives us their space. They give us at least one paid professional mechanic, an employee of theirs, and free consumable items like lube, um, grease, and, you know, use of, like, cleaners and rags and things. And some locations give um, discounts to participants if they buy something that night while they're working on their bikes, but that's not necessary. And then there's a facilitator, which is a grease rag volunteer, and they're kind of like our point person. We try not to have a hierarchy, but they're just someone who's going to show up regularly and keep in touch with the other facilitators if they need something. And they're kind of in charge with setting the vibe for their space. Um, And we have other volunteers as well that come and help. Maybe they have knowledge. Maybe they just are really enthusiastic and bring snacks or are cool people. Um, And then we have participants that come, and sometimes they come once. We never see them again. And sometimes they return again and again. And the facilitator um, can say, well... We're going to have a half an hour where I talk about a specific feature on the bike or a specific adjustment, and then the next hour and a half will be open shop where everyone can work on their projects. We have that at one location, 
the rest of the locations, we have um, just open shop. So the facilitator is kind of there to triage and make sure that everyone can get their, their bikes in the stand and kind of prioritize, you know, longer projects should get in there first and shorter projects can maybe like wait a little bit. Um, that's our that's our open shop night model. Very cool. Um, so yeah, so that's um, glad that that sounds like that's working out very well. And you getting are you getting a lot of interest from new people? Well, we just added our seventh monthly event, which I think is a great sign. And the great thing, the thing that excites me about our model is the community partnership because. What we're doing by bringing this group into the bike shop, having them step behind the counter and use the tools, like they're the ones that do the work. We don't just like let them watch while we work on their bikes. And I think that's really important. <laughs> but the thing I really like about the model is that our community partners are getting something out of it too because once someone has stepped behind the counter, it really takes away a lot of the intimidation and barriers. And then the next time they come into the shop, they're like, oh, hey, Jamie, can you help me out with this? Or like, Yanni, like, can you can you help me out with this? I was here at Grease Rag, but I didn't finish, or I need to look at something else, or you're really knowledgeable, can we work together again? So they have a relationship with that shop, which I don't know if you have personal relationships with some bike shops as you travel around or in your home? I mean, not really. I mean, I, but I, I do try to find collectives and, and co-ops of various types and just to try to, yeah. um, you know, just work on my bike and help out wherever I can. So yeah, it's, it's a different feeling. I agree. You know, when you're, when you're involved, you feel involved instead of just, you know, you know there's, that, there's that power dynamic, right? It's very yeah. it's a psychological divide where you're, you're like, you're a, you know, I mean, you walk into any bike shop and like they won't even let you borrow a tool or something. They're they, they're holding this this power over you. Exactly. So this is just another way that we're creating community. Is we're creating a link between the people that come in and use the space and the people that work at the space and manage the space. So we get so much from our community partners. Like they support us. They are paying to keep the lights on. They're paying to give us these consumable items. They pay to give us their staff. But they get a lot out of it because we bring in people that will come back. Any of them that you want to highlight for especially wonderful things that they've done? Or? Our community partners? Yeah, any of them. Um, well, we have Sunrise Cyclery. It was our original location, and Jamie at Sunrise continues to be super supportive of us. We have the new Spokes um, Community Bike Center, which has been very supportive of us, and they have taken it upon themselves to add our seventh event. They have two events there now. Um, we have the Bike Center at the U of M, which is managed by The Hub, and they cater to a different crowd that we don't really have access at the other locations. And we also have um, Recovery in Northeast, which is a used bike shop. And Yanni is doing great work over there. They each, they each kind of have their own flavor because they each have their own facilitators. Yeah, so they're the reason a, why we exist. And you're serving a pretty diverse community by, by doing that, so that's, that's really cool. I do like to spread the locations out geographically so we can try to 
help as many people as we can. Yeah, because that's the divide too. I mean, if you can't, if you can't, uh, if you need to work on your bike, and I mean, you're in a physical location. You, a lot of people yeah. walk their bikes over and say, "Hey, I was just a few bike blocks away. I knew you were having grease rag tonight, and my bike is messed up. Like I couldn't ride it here, so here I am." Awesome, awesome. So I maybe I'm interested to talk about. Um, conditions like sort of you know bike culture in, in the city and um things going on on the street i mean if you pretty much you can pick any city and i mean if you look at who's out there um i don't know if it's mostly men but it's probably majority men in probably 20s and 30s i mean so um what are there i guess maybe maybe we talk about some of the some of the reasons you think that might be the case and sort of what we can do to or, or should we try to change that? I read recently that Minneapolis actually has one of the higher proportions of women that commute. So I think that's riding your bike to work, to and from work. Um, so it might be a less pronounced phenomenon here than in other places. I don't really feel like I can speak to why that is. Which I appreciate because I mean it's a it's you notice that it that it happens in, in most places and um, there's so many people just speculating on oh it's because of this it's because of that and it's like okay if nobody really knows if it's if it's not clear that there's one or two particular motivating factors then uh, let's not speculate on it. <laughs> so. I actually appreciate I'll call them theories. I appreciate some of the theories because it gives organizations like Greasereg a place to start. But I really hate the generalization of this homogenous group called women or this homogenous group called transgender or women and transgender people because there is very little that I have inherently in common with any other woman biking out there. We come from all different backgrounds. We do all sorts of different kinds of riding. So I think that's part of the problem of not being able to identify like what's going on here is obviously it's a systemic problem because across the board women are participating in lower numbers than men but within those within the whole do people bike or do they not bike there's you know are are we seeing people of color on bikes as equal? Are we seeing people that are of a lower income biking as part of this bike culture? Like, women belong in all of these groups. So I find it very hard personally to, like, put my finger on this is what we need to change. I don't know if you can tell by how excited I am about Grease Rag, but that's where I think the ticket is. Like, I think that we need to start supporting each other and creating a community where we do what we want. <laughs> we feel good about it. We we bike how we want, we work on our bikes how we want, we talk about bikes how we want, we do it our own way, and that's totally cool. That's good. Everybody uh, do their own thing and uh, get support when you need it, but you know, make your own decisions and have access to resources and, and all that. So. so there's something systemic going on, but... Cool. Who knows what it is? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a problem for another day, I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so, um, I don't know, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Hmm, I don't know. There's lots of things I could talk about. I feel like I've already, about, already run out of, run out of tape. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, biking in Minneapolis? Did you uh, 
in general? Are there, yeah. <clears throat> well, I really like biking in Minneapolis. So I do it every day. Um, we have a couple of really good commuter routes. Um, so by commuter routes, I mean something where I don't have to deal with traffic and a bunch of lights, and it's straight from point A to point B. Um, we also have some recreational off-trail, excuse me, off-road trails that go around the lakes and the rivers. And one of the things I really like about Minneapolis, even though this maybe sounds like I'm knocking Minneapolis, is that I can get out of town really fast. So if I want to go on a bike camping trip, I can just load up my gear, which is already packed, by the way. I'm ready to go at a second's notice. If somebody <laughs> needs me to go yes. bike camping with them, I am ready. <laughs> you just keep the bag in there, you know, extra bag. In oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gear. My sleeping bag just needs to be rolled up, and I'm ready to go. Put some provisions in there. Um, you know, I can go out in several different directions, and within a half a day to a day to two days to three days ride, I can get to some really beautiful places so what we were talking about earlier about Minneapolis being kind of low density one of the things that's kind of odd about like a low density city is that it's not super sprawling you know it doesn't it doesn't spread out so wide that I can't like get out I don't have to take the train to get out someplace I like that a lot that's interesting. Yeah, most places you, you have all this like you know miles and miles of suburbia to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought you had a lot of that here, but I guess if you have good trails, maybe maybe not so much. I mean, we we do have that, but I have some experience in Southern California, so maybe it's relative to me, and <laughs> okay. I feel like there's not a lot to deal with. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, what are your favorite rides? I really like to do group rides um, on the Gateway Trail from downtown St. Paul to Stillwater. And um, you can go into downtown Stillwater and there's some nice little shops that you can have a coffee or a donut or get some lunch and then ride back along the Gateway Trail. It has great tree cover, so even on the hottest days there's shade. Um, It's not a lot of hills it's just like a gentle incline on the way there and gentle downhill on the way back it's a beautiful ride um, i really like anything along the river anything along the river is nice. you're uh, you're you're, you're like kind of like me you're like a just a, a very you know casual trail kind of person you know you don't want to you don't want to be you know out there and with dealing with all this traffic and everything you're, you're not into that you just want like peaceful where i can kind of relax I would actually describe myself as the opposite when I'm commuting. I'm all about the straightest path because I don't like to dink around on trails that take me out of my way. I like want to go A to B, get to work, clock in, clock out, and then after work I might take my rambling way home. But I definitely um, ride streets that some people don't feel comfortable on because I'm a... I'm trying to get A there to B fast. kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, I mean, because you, because you learned how to bike as an adult, I mean, it, it, was there a turning point at some point when you sort of became more comfortable? Yes, there it was. Um, riding with people that knew how to ride. I started riding with people that were much better at taking the lane. I found that terrifying yeah. when I was first <laughs> starting. Like, what do you mean it's safer to be in front of the car instead of being squished in between the curb and the side of the car? Like, that did not register with me until I started riding with people that, you know, would ride a straight line and be predictable and not weave in and out of cars, but just use the road like 
a vehicle, then it clicked for me. Like, oh, vehicular cycling makes sense in a lot of in a lot of ways. I modify the vehicular cycling rules to fit my my needs, but yeah, at a certain point, riding yeah. with others really like gave me confidence, and I think that's why I'm really into doing a lot of beginner rides. Right, just getting new people to sort of be comfortable. On, on you just the have to practice and see it done. Yeah. yeah, it's. I heard somebody talking the other day about how yeah, biking. Um, I, th- I feel like this. I think this was uh, Bill Indicky when I was talking to him. Um, he was mentioning that um, he was comparing uh, biking to skiing to downhill skiing, and he was saying that if there's you know, if it's all, somebody could tell you, you know, it's 95% of, of uh, you know, these the beginner, easy, nothing, no big deal. And then if there's like a 5%, mm-hmm. it's like, it's going to be these, these like black diamonds and, you know, it's, it's going to be crazy, but it's only 5%. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and people won't just, just won't ride at all. Mm-hmm. That's a very good metaphor. I like that. Good job, Bill. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so should we wrap up or? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. It's, uh, I think we learned a lot and uh, how can people find out more? about you or Grease Rag or both? Um, we have a blog at greaserag.org and um, we also have a very active Facebook group online, Grease Rag Ride and Wrench. Cool. And uh, we'll, I will uh, put links up to that. And um, Thank you so much. Thank you. And when is the next uh, event? Um, the next event is in five minutes at the oh. spokes in the Seward <laughs> location. Okay. Are you heading over there? Or? Soon, yes. Okay. Obviously, Lo was heading out as she had an event in five minutes. Um, but thanks again to Lo for joining me. I uh, had a great conversation and learned a lot. And uh, you can find out a lot more about Grease Rag at greaserag.org or on their Facebook group, uh, Grease Rag Ride and Wrench. And, uh, I will put links to both of those at criticaltransit.com slash 33. Okay, so I know this is going long, and I hope that uh, you know you were so excited to have me back that you're happy to listen to me for a little more than an hour. Um, but I'm almost done. I just wanted to get to some feedback that I received from Gareth in Toronto, and he writes in about about the situation in in Toronto. He said he wanted to give me an update. That um, let's see if I can find his email. He wants to give me an update that. Um, there, oh, um, Metrolinks, the uh, which is the province's transit, you know, regional transit oversight agency, um, and which runs the regional commuter rail and bus, is has proposed a whole bunch of uh, funding mechanisms to to fund improved transit and expanded transit, and so, so this is this is going around in the, in the legislature, you know, and and. Uh, there are a number of people that have, have gotten behind it, and, and it's it's moving its way through, but I don't think anything's going to happen on it until the spring, apparently, from, from what I can read online. Um, I don't really know why that is, but maybe there's some technical reason for that or some political reason. I, I don't really know. Um, one thing I do know is that um, the the city has just started, or I guess Metrolinks, has just started building the Eglinton Avenue Crosstown light rail. They, they have uh, tunnel boring machines, and they're actually digging, which is very exciting. Because how often do you see a, a transit line, a new transit line, where they're actually digging a subway? Um, so this is very exciting, and uh, um, it's too bad they're not actually making it like a full, um, full fledged heavy rail, because um, 
you know, when you build a light rail in that kind of confined space and then you're going to have to expand it, now you're looking at really big trouble. So um, hopefully they at least make it so that they can extend the number of cars at the very least. The other transit thing that's going on in Toronto is the talk of uh, expanding Bixie, which is the bike sharing program. This system hasn't really been expanded since it started, I believe, several years ago now. And um, and it's the the city right now. The the mayor uh, Rob Ford, who's a total um, um, how do you say this um, fucking asshole. Um, sorry, is uh, he's the mayor right now, and uh, he thinks that the bike share is a waste of money. Um, he's also the guy who's you know gone around saying that you know streets are not made for bikes, and uh, you know that uh, you know he, he's championed the removal of bike lanes and you know gotten bike lanes removed, and he's also. Uh, spoken out against transit, uh, against good. He's insisted that instead of, you know, when this whole when this whole transit expansion thing was first coming on, you know, going on, um, he sort of intervened in a process that was already moving forward. And he said, well, you know, we're not going to build, uh, you know, light rail. We're going to ha- we have to build subways because we don't want to take anything away from car drivers, you know, because car drivers, you know, they have it so tough. It's like, it's not like every single fucking road is made for them. Um, so, yeah, he intervened that way. And so he was kind of a jerk from the beginning. And uh, he, uh, what is yeah? So now he got caught recently in a in a, a video that was um, that was sold to the to the press, um, smoking crack with uh, Somali drug lords, which is wonderful. So um, yeah, that's been the latest allegation against him. He also he was in trouble earlier for uh, embezzling money, with some something to do with a football charity that I didn't really understand, but um, something that was illegal and unethical, and. Uh, yeah, he got in trouble for that, but he was allowed to keep his job, which is weird. And uh, but now he's sort of embroiled in this, and he's saying that he's not going anywhere, and he's not, you know, he's not going to resign, and he's going to run again for re-election. And the city's kind of in turmoil. It's uh, apparently it's been described by some in in city hall as uh, not business as usual, but uh, but business is going on. So I don't I don't really know uh, what to make of all that, and I'm kind of curious uh, when he's up for election, and uh, you know what this guy has to do to get. Uh, to get removed from office. I, I just don't know. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that, that changes because the sooner that changes, the, the more things are going to look up in Toronto for really dealing with some of the bike issues. And I talked about, I believe it was episode 10 that I talked to Yvonne Bambrick, who is a cycling advocate in, uh, in Toronto. And, um, she was talking about some of the things that, that are the real needs. You know, there aren't, there isn't any bike infrastructure in downtown Toronto and, uh, and there's a real problem with the, the way the streetcar tracks and everything is laid out and the way the streets are designed. There's a lot of opportunities there. So I think um, if if we get a, a new mayor, then that would, uh, that would change things in the city and bike advocates would start making some good progress. So I can only hope for that. What else did I want to say? Um, oh, not much. I'm pretty much done. The last thing I want to say is the... Uh, Thank you to all of you who have been uh, following and retweeting my posts on, on Twitter. Um, if you haven't been following me there, I, I suggest that you do at Critical Transit. And you can, uh, you know, I've been retweeting a lot of things that I, I think are interesting. Um, usually I agree with them. Every once in a while I uh, retweet something that I haven't completely read and then somebody takes me to task and, whoa, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't say that I liked cars or something, something like that. And I have to we'll do a little backpedaling there and uh, hopefully that's, that's understood. Um, but yeah, I, I like to, uh, you know, read a lot about stuff there and, uh, you know, the big thing that's been in the news the past couple of weeks is the New York city bike share that's been uh, rolling out. 
And um, I actually got to ride it on this past Tuesday, uh, June 10th, I believe. And, uh, and it was very good. Um, I did have a few problems where stations weren't working and I couldn't check out bikes um, because of one reason or another. And uh, I have to say that the, uh, it, it makes me wonder why the system was delayed for uh, quote-unquote software issues because the software that they're using uh, is, is pretty terrible. It's, uh, you know, they, I walked up to one station and there was an MS-DOS prompt and, uh, you know, another one which just wouldn't take the credit card. I mean, it's just, is a, and I've had this with other bike share systems. Is they need to get some better software <laughs> for these kiosks because um, it's, you know, it's not, that's not going to, the system's not going to work when you can't take out a bike and you have to walk. You know, luckily in New York, the stations are fairly close together, but still, I mean, if you have to walk, you know, a few blocks to get another bike, you're trying to make a quick trip, but now, you know, the bike is not going to be that fastest way around the city anymore. So, um, that's a problem. I don't know. They must be using Microsoft Windows. That's the only thing I can conclude with uh, how bad (laughs) this has been. But aside from that, I did get uh, four or five rides out of it, and uh, I didn't take the subway all day. It It was nice. I biked to... From I started off for downtown. I came from Staten Island. I started off at the Staten Island Ferry Dock, and I um, biked up to uh, mid, well, to Union Square, and then to Midtown, and then across. And I took the one of the highlights of New York that I need to post about sometime: the Roosevelt Island Tram, which is a, an aerial tramway that goes from Midtown Manhattan over the East River to the to an island in the middle of the East River called Roosevelt Island, where a number of people live. And in recent years, they've been building a lot of like luxury condos and things. But um, historically, there have been a lot of you know various varied income people living there. And uh, yeah, and there are two hospitals out on the island, I believe. So it's uh, the tramway is great. It's a beautiful ride. It's really high up. It's it's way above the the Queensboro Bridge, which is right next to it. And so you can see you see all of Manhattan and the river. It's it's uh, it's beautiful. And it only takes five minutes. So if you get afraid of heights, it's pretty quick. So that's that's cool. And um, so yeah, they did that, and then I biked from there, and then again, and so I, I got a bunch of trips out of it. And it's, um, it's. I think that the nine ninety nine uh, daily pass is a little pricey for you know if you're just making one trip, but in my case, I got several trips, and I think that's a really good deal and a great way to get around town. So follow me on Twitter, uh, Critical Transit, and also on Facebook, Critical Transit, and uh, the website is criticaltransit.com. I'm going to start um, posting more on the blog. I, I have some ideas for uh, redoing the blog. And sort of tell me what you think. I'm sort of thinking about uh, making redoing it into a few different kind of sections, and just um, or maybe just you know quick, simple stuff like uh, like short posts, like the little tips to make things easier for transit service or, or, you know, how to make cycling safer, you know, just little tips, like one little one paragraph things that I can just kind of post in there. And, um, and maybe I can, I can open it up to, to you to submit and, and anyone really to submit things that I can put in there. If, if, uh, if I think that they're, you know, if I agree to them, maybe I, uh, you know, can take things from the, from, uh, Twitter users that I follow and, and others. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm thinking just, Make it sure this way I can get stuff up pretty frequently, and um, and I can still have long blog posts, but just not as often. Um, I don't know. It's an, an idea that I had, uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to be going. I'm actually, right now I'm in New York. I'm going to be in uh, Pittsburgh for a few days. I've always wanted to get out to Pittsburgh, and I've never actually made it. So I'm going to stop there for a few days, and then go to Chicago just for a quick stopover for a day, and then um, taking the, the train or the bus up to Minneapolis, and I'm going to be there for hopefully a few months. I'm doing the Brompton U.S. Championship, which is a race put on by Brompton, which makes the uh, 
the Brompton folding bike that, that I have, and you can see pictures of it on, on my website. And uh, they so they sponsor a race uh, that you bring you can bring any Brompton, and you have to you have to wear a uh, jacket and tie, and uh, any any shorts or shoes that you want, and uh, you you ride or you you get a you start with a with a running start to your folded bike, and you have to unfold it. And then you ride it um, six laps around the one-mile course, uh, which is coincides with the Open Streets Minneapolis. So uh, that's going to be very exciting. It should be a fun event, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know how many people are going to be there, but I think, uh, but I think it'll be exciting and just to see a bunch of people in uh, jacket and tie uh, racing the Brompton. Which kind of reminds me, actually, I have to uh, have to pack a jacket and tie um, and a shirt. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to make a little note here. So anyway, um, so I'll be spending some time there. If you are in Minneapolis or anywhere in the general, um, I don't know, anywhere nearby, um, or Chicago or Pittsburgh, um, get in touch. Uh, you can email me at feedback at criticaltransit.com, and uh, I will try to write back. Um, I know I owe a reply to a couple of you who have emailed me, and I, uh, I'm working on that. So uh, you know, please keep the emails coming. I love to hear from you. And uh, I unfortunately have the bad habit of checking emails while I'm waiting for the bus and then just not responding. So um, I do love to hear from you. And a number of you have sent me uh, emails with suggestions for uh, guests and topics. And I'm going to get to that now that I'm going to have a place to put my stuff down and um, and a place to do interviews and a better place to do work. I'm going to uh, get to that, I promise. And and if you want to give me a job, feedback at criticaltransit.com. I will talk to you soon.